Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. 2020 is finally coming to a close. And you know what? We made it. There needs to be a huge celebration with party hats and confetti for everyone to celebrate because, oh my goodness, what a year it has been. But you know what? When I look back at it, I see amazing things that have happened and blessings upon blessings, even in the middle of some of the most difficult times of our lives. In today's episode, we are going to be looking back at the best moments of 2020 that we have had on the It Starts With Attraction podcast. At the beginning of this year, I actually started this podcast before 2020 in its whole essence ever even started. And so when I really got into the meat of recording the episodes I had already played out, we were already in the middle of lockdown, something that totally was unexpected. But you know what? The time that I had at home and the space that I was given when I didn't have to be going into an office and running back and forth, taking kids to school, that extra time that I had allowed me to focus on releasing this podcast that I had had on my heart for about a year now, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I would love if you would take a moment and review this podcast because every time you leave a review, it helps other people to be able to find it as well. And we would love for people to find the hope and the truth that I hope you see offered every single week in this podcast. So today we're going to be taking the top five podcasts from this year, and I have pulled some of my favorite moments from them, and I'm going to be sharing some behind the scenes with you and then playing the top tips that we have offered you from this year's podcast. Let's dive in. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. If you've ever wanted to know what your attractiveness score is, then I have a free guide that you're going to want to go and download. Now, I'm going to tell you that this isn't going to be like those quizzes or surveys or tests that you see online that are like, how hot are you or how sexy are you? Because I think those end up making people feel worse about themselves at the end than ever before. This free attraction assessment guide that I have created is a no gimmicks, truthful and honest representation of how you can assess yourself and see the areas of attraction that you feel most confident in and the areas of attraction where you need opportunity for growth. It's not going to be done in a way that makes you feel worse about yourself, but is going to give you real tools and tactics that you can begin to implement after you know which areas you should focus a little more on and which ones you're already slaying. You can go and get your free guide at itstartswithattraction.com. You'll see the opt-in form in the lower right-hand corner, and it'll be emailed to you immediately. 
I can't wait to hear about your results and your scores and the way that you decide to make some changes in your life so that you can be the most attractive that you can be. Go and get your free guide at itstartswithattraction.com. Also a reminder, just so you know, that the content in this podcast is not intended to constitute or be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And I always recommend that you seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have in regards to any medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking help or medical help because of something you have heard in this podcast. This is simply a tool to provide you information so that you can go and get the results and the help that you need. The most popular episode for 2020 and honestly of the It Starts With Attraction podcast so far has been episode one where it talks all about explaining what the pies are and what the truth about attraction is. What's really funny when I look back and listen back to this podcast is hearing the audio quality because this was the first episode that I recorded in the middle of quarantine, in the middle of the end of March, beginning of April, when all of us were on lockdown. And I remember I was sitting in my bedroom closet with clothes all around me. I did not have my studio set up yet in my house. I did not have my professional microphone. We were just trying to bootstrap it to get it going and make it work. So as you listen to it, you'll hear the audio quality is totally different. But what's ironic is that hasn't stopped people from loving the information that has been in this podcast. The part that I'm taking out this time for you to listen to is the part all about the most important part of attraction, which is emotional attraction. Listen to this clip. Because what's interesting is most of us don't even realize that emotional attraction is part of attraction. And in so many ways, it it may even be one of the most important parts of attraction when it comes to being in a relationship with someone else. And here's what I mean by that. Emotional attraction asks the question, am I evoking emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? Another important question that emotional attraction asks is, Am I evoking emotions within myself that I enjoy feeling? And here's what that means. When I'm in a relationship with someone else, such as my husband, as an example, there can come a point where I stop focusing on doing the things that evoke positive emotions in him, like making him his favorite meals or kissing him goodbye before I go to work or asking him about his day when I come home or even just putting my phone down and listening to him when he speaks, period. The things that show that I like him, that I love him, that I respect him, the things that are fundamental into having a positive relationship with him. You see, when I do the positive things, then he has positive emotional attraction towards me. He wants to be around me when he feels like I'm respecting him, when he feels like I'm going out of my way to do the things that he likes. He wants to be around me more. But when I stop doing those things, maybe either out of getting complacent in the relationship, the longer we're with our spouses or our romantic partners, it can become less natural for us to think about doing those things because we get very comfortable in the stability of our relationship. And so we stop doing the things that evoke those positive emotions. And that's not necessarily going to push someone away from us or make them unattracted to us in and of itself. But it can definitely get to where they don't have a 
emotional attraction towards us. They're just kind of neutral. But what's even more interesting is most of the time I actually replace those things that gave my husband, my romantic partner, whatever it is, positive emotions. I typically end up replacing those with things that actually evoke negative emotions. Where now when he wants to talk about the movie that he wants to watch, I tell him about how stupid that movie is and how I don't want to do it. Or instead of thinking of him, giving him a kiss before I go to work, I just leave and I don't even think. Maybe I don't even answer his calls throughout the day because I'm too busy. Or or I start nitpicking everything he does when he doesn't do it my way, when he doesn't do the dishes the way I want or vacuum the house the way I want. I tell him how he needs to do it better. He needs to do it different, which now I'm starting to critique. I'm starting to criticize. And all of a sudden, not only am I not doing the things that are evoking positive emotions, but I am now doing things that are evoking negative emotions, meaning he doesn't like the way he feels when he's around me, which means he won't want to be around me very much. This happens with children too. We can do things that would evoke positive emotions where we listen to them as they tell us about their day. We take the time to look them in the eye, to connect with them. We look at all of the pictures they color over and over every time, all the fun and exciting things that they want to share with us. And those can evoke positive emotions when we do those things, when we stop and we connect with our kids. But if we stop doing those, then less positive emotional connections are made. But what's even worse is we could even start doing the things that begin to push our kids away where we tell them they need to do things better. When they make a B on their spelling test, then we tell them how they really need to make an A and they're grounded until next time. And we can't believe that they would be so careless. We begin to make them feel less than, like they have to do certain things in order to earn our love, that we don't accept them that the way, that we don't accept them the way they are. And then all of a sudden we've created a negative emotional attraction to where our children don't like the way that they feel when they're around us. And then maybe they don't want to be around us much anymore. This can happen with coworkers. It can happen with parents, siblings, friends, any relationship that you have in your life. All of these areas of attraction matter, but emotional attraction is one of the most important areas of attraction in a relationship. But it's also important for you as an individual. Because when we don't like the things we say about ourselves, then we can start evoking emotions within ourselves we don't like feeling. And it's hard to get away from you. You can't easily escape yourself, although you can try through addictions, through food, through social media, through friendships that aren't healthy for you. When in reality, you need to get to a place where you start loving yourself. You start evoking emotions within yourself that you enjoy feeling. To hear more about what emotional attraction and all of the areas of attraction are and how you can apply those even better in your life, be sure to go back and listen to episode one, talking about the foundation of the pies. The next most popular episode in 2020 was the fourth episode, episode four, talking about what emotional attraction really is with Dr. Joe Beam. 
As many of you know, Dr. Joe Beam is also my father, but I was able to sit down with him in the beginning of this year and record this podcast where we really got into the meat of, okay, we understand that emotional attraction is so important for relationships, but let's talk about specifically what does that look like? So we sat down and had a really great conversation talking about how do you how do you know what another person finds to be emotionally attractive? And what do you do if you find yourself not being emotionally attracted to the people in your life anymore? It's a really amazing podcast. You need to go and listen to the whole thing. Again, that's episode four with Dr. Joe Beam. But here is one of my favorite clips from that episode. Whenever I ask people the question, which area of your attraction do you need the most help in? Overwhelmingly, the answer that people give me is emotional attraction. But not only is it an area of attraction, it's one of the most important areas of attraction when it comes to having healthy and strong relationships. And in today's episode, I am interviewing and talking with Dr. Joe Beam. We have a great conversation about how to identify how to be emotionally attractive in a relationship and what you can do starting today to be even more emotionally attractive in the relationships that you're in. I'm super excited for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others, and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. So Joe, what would you say is the most important, or at least one of the most important areas of emotional attraction? Well, it gets a little complicated here because there are actually two sides to it. One would be the things that you stop doing or that you don't do. And the other would be the things that you do. Now, interestingly, and this seems to be more common with husbands. I'm not trying to put guys down here, but if I'm talking to a couple, the guy tends to refer to the things he doesn't do as being emotionally attractive. Mm. I don't do this. You know, this other guy treats his wife this way. That guy treats his wife the other way. I don't do any of those things. Therefore, you should be emotionally attracted to me because I'm not doing anything to push you away. Hmm. And I say, you know, yeah, that's extremely important. I mean, if you're doing things to push the other person away, that creates within the other person emotions that they do not want to feel, then obviously that's a bad thing because nobody wants to feel those negative emotions and that pushes them further from you. So that's really crucial. It's extremely important, but you can't build a relationship on what you don't do. Hmm. So it's important you don't do it because it can destroy a relationship, but you can't build a relationship with it. And so then when it comes to the other, like, okay, if you're going to do things that evoke emotions that people enjoy feeling, it really comes down to trying to understand which emotion is most important to the other person at the time. Hmm. So, for example, if uh, my wife, Alice, recently went through knee surgery and became very depressed because it didn't heal as fast as she wanted it to, the pain lasted longer than she thought it was going to, when in actuality, according to the physician, she's on schedule with everything but in her mind. And so right now, the most important emotional thing for her is not necessarily to feel that I'm trying to make her laugh or be happy, because that's an emotion. Right now, it's just the emotion of security. 
constantly asking, am I going to be okay? Is my knee going to heal? Is there going to be a future? Is it always going to feel like this? And so the emotion that I need to be evoking within her right now, and (laughs) I'm not doing very well at with some days, is how to evoke an emotion within her where she feels good about her future. She feels secure. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know exactly how you identify that emotion. It's not elation. It's a kind of love, but I don't know exactly what it is other than to say security. Yet when we use that word, people go, that's not an emotion. Right. Right. But, but it really is if you understand what I'm trying to say. And so what's the most important? I think it's based on what the other person is at the time. Uh, help me feel secure or Maybe it's evoking emotions of humor, laughter, you know, just enjoying life. Maybe it's just, I want to feel that and know for for a fact that you love me. So for example, if uh, some other person has been involved in relationship, even though they shouldn't have been, then it may be for the next period of time, the most important, important emotion to evoke within the other person is just to feel loved. You are the one I've chosen. You're the person that I want to be with. And so, yes, always don't do the negatives, but when it comes to the positive, it's like, which one does this person most want or need right now? And that varies with circumstance. Right. And how do you even go about figuring that out, identifying that in the other person? Well, in an ideal situation, the other person would tell you. That would be ideal. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes they themselves don't know. Mm. I mean, when somebody gets into a blue funk and you ask them, what do you need? What do you want? They are because they're in this kind of depression kind of thing going on. They won't even give you a good answer. Mm -hmm. They don't really know. So sometimes I think it's a kind of thing of trial and error. So if you're doing something that normally would evoke positive emotions, but it's not working now, rather than going, who knows? I can't figure it out. I give up. I think the right response is, okay, that's not what he or she needs right now. And then, uh, Again, conversation, if the other person will actually be open and honest. But the direct question, probably not going to work well. Like, what do you need right now? That's probably not going to get to the answer you want. It may, but probably not. It would be more like, where do you hurt? Where do you feel bad? Um, what do you think you'd like to do today? You just those roundabout questions and then figuring out and doing the best you can to help evoke those emotions in that person for that circumstance. So it's more of an art than a science, like we say about many of the things we teach. Mm-hmm. If it were altogether simple, like, oh, if you hear this word, then do that, then our jobs would be easy. Right. <laughs> and everybody would have wonderful marriages. Uh, human beings are just much too complex for that. They really are. So it sounds like there needs to be a lot of patience in this process because uh-huh. the tendency that I see in my own relationship and other relationships, couples I'm friends with, whatever, is that, you know, one of them, let's just say, uh, Let's say my husband is sick, which happens more than I'd like. (laughs) Let's say, let's say he's sick. He's not feeling well. He is needing certain things, but for him, sometimes it's, he wants to be left alone. He wants Mm -hmm. to sleep. He wants peace and quiet. But for me, it can be difficult because I want to make sure he's okay. I want to feel, I, there's this emotion within me of, for me, if it, if I were sick, here's what I would want you to do, mm-hmm. right? But then when I do it for him, it doesn't work that well. But it can be difficult for me to change my, you know, what is it, the MO to give me difficult. <laughs> Modus yeah, it can be difficult. So how can you even shift your thinking? In well, that I think way? that's the first thing. We've been telling people for 30 years now almost that 
the first thing we typically give other people is what we think we need. Mm-hmm. Because, well, if that's what I would need here, that's what you need. And you you have to consciously stop and back up and go, no, that's mm. not it right now. So, for example, if I get sick, mm-hmm. I want people to leave me the heck alone. I think that tends to be a thing with guys. But but I want to be heck. And, but yet, Alice, my wife is very touchy-feely. When I'm sick, it's when she wants to do most stuff for me. Mm-hmm. When I'm thinking, no, no, no. And so it's a matter of... Paying attention, mm-hmm. realizing it, that he or she may not be made the same way I am, think the same way, feel the same way, need the same things. And again, it goes back to paying a lot of attention. And I think that's the simple solution to all of this. Well, it's not simple, but that's the solution to all of this. If if the other person is not telling me, either because they don't know how mm-hmm. or because they're aggravated that I'm asking or whatever it might be, you pay attention. And, and the things that evoke the emotions that they enjoy feeling, you replicate. The things that you do that evoke emotions they don't enjoy feeling, you eliminate. Hmm. And you just have to figure that out over time. But you can if you pay attention. Sure. And if you're willing to maybe do some <laughs> things that are different don't, that don't come naturally to you. Uh-huh. It's, it's like my mother, when she was still alive, when she would cook, uh, it's like, you've got to lose weight. Why don't you want a third helping? What's wrong with my food? <laughs> So you get totally contradictory messages from her. Show you're getting fat. What do you mean you don't want any more of my peach pie or my peach mm-hmm. cobbler? This and and so yeah, it's a matter of getting out of myself, really focusing on the other person for what he or she needs. Mm. So the phrase "do unto others" as, as you would have them do unto you, it makes sense if you put it in context. What it that's basically referring to negative things. Hmm. What it's saying is don't do the things to other people that you don't want people doing to you. Mm-hmm. And in a general sense, the positive. But it's not necessarily the, the same. Well, I think what it means is treat people with respect. I think that's what that means. Hmm. Respect the other person. Do for them what they need. Mm-hmm. Because the same book that we find that so-called golden rule in about doing to others as you would have them do unto you is also talked is a, a same book that has the thing in it that you do for others what builds them up according to their needs. Mm. Hmm. So it, it addresses both sides of this. Uh-huh. Now, there were some things you mentioned at the beginning when we opened up of there's two parts of the emotional attraction. There's things you stop doing. Mm-hmm. What are those things? Well, what we see with couples over time is that they typically, when they're in the courtship period, tend to be very attentive and they tend to do things that, that evoke emotions when the other person, the other person enjoys Disrespect is easier to see by far. Mm-hmm. I remember being in a meeting once. There was a, a successful physician in the meeting. His wife was there. And something about business came up. And in front of all of us, she said, well, if it weren't for me, we wouldn't have any money. Mm-hmm. He's a good doctor, but he's a lousy businessman. He has no idea how to handle money. So mm-hmm. he better be thankful he's married to me. Now, you might look at that and go, well, if you're all close friends, well, I was watching him. Mm-hmm. And you could see the humiliation now, he was a pretty strong guy, and, and it only flickered in his eyes for a few seconds. But it's like, why do you need to tell people things about him in public that make him feel put down? Right. And yet we see it all the time. Mm-hmm. People ridiculing mm-hmm. or, or saying negative things about their spouses in front of other people. That's one way. Mm-hmm. That's one of the greatest senses of disrespect. Another, though, is this. I dealt with a, a physician again years ago that said, if my wife's weight problem were medical, I'd have a different view of it. But she knows how important health is to me, and she just won't take care of herself. I feel disrespected. Mm -hmm. So respect has to do with how you treat 
somebody in front of other people, but also you treat them individually. And if you know, if you know that something's important to them, uh, then violating that is obviously a big thing of disrespect. Mm. It's a, it's a big, big deal. So it can be all kinds of ways you can see the disrespect. This like, the difference in like and love is this. Uh, I imagine everybody out here can think of somebody that they love who on occasion they don't want to be around. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to be around you right now because right now I don't like the way you're behaving. Mm-hmm. Love has to do with I care about who you are. Like has to do with how I react to what you do. Next on the list is episode two, all about inflammation with Dr. Will Cole. I was honored to speak to Dr. Cole, and I actually recently just read his book, The Inflammation Spectrum, which has been so helpful for me. What I love about that book, and we talk about that book in the entirety of episode two in the podcast that I had with him, but I hadn't read the whole book when I did my first podcast with him. And so we had a really great conversation, and I just so appreciate his view on mental health and physical health and how to love your body. Because change can't happen in your body if you don't love it. But he also sees the importance of outside effects on our physical health, such as troubles in relationship or too much stress and anxiety or being inside too much and how all of that can affect the stress that we have built up in our body, which is also known as the inflammation in our body. And what I love about his book is that it really talks about how every week there's something else he wants you to do, like get outside in nature or get off your smartphone or spend more time hugging and loving on the people in your life. And each week when he's encouraging you to do something different with your diet, he's also encouraging you to do something different in your life. Here's one of my favorite clips of my conversation with Dr. Will Cole. Yeah, I mean, that's the bi-directional relationships between thoughts and emotions and your physiology, right? It's like the... In the West, we like to separate mental health from physical health. But the reality is mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body. When you look at things like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog and even just fear and dread and these things, they have physiological components. So there's a whole field of research in the scientific literature that's looking at this over the years. It's not not all of it's just new studies. Some of it is new studies. But over the past decade, 15 years, we've been looking at in the in the scientific community looking at the way that inflammation impacts how the brain works and that's what this cytokine model cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells cytokine model of cognitive function how is inflammation impacting mental health so it's thought your physiology like underlying gut problems for example can drive inflammation levels up and impact someone's brain. And that's through the gut-brain axis. Your gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. And it's very well documented in the research that these gut problems or even hormonal imbalances, things that are tangibly measured on labs Mm -hmm. can drive inflammation levels up, impacting your neurochemistry, impacting somebody's stress levels in, in, in that way. But then the other side of that coin happens as well. This bi-directional relationship between thoughts and emotions and physiology, thoughts and emotions. So if somebody has a stressful job, if somebody is in a toxic relationship, those things, those circumstantial external things will impact physiology too. And that's very well documented also in the research that people that are, have gone through things like trauma or people that have stressful life events are more prone. They have higher inflammation levels. They have compromised immune systems. They're 
more prone to being triggered with autoimmune problems. Uh, so the, you know, the, the body keeps the, the score in that way. And there's a book after that title as well, looking at this, this connection between trauma and stress and the impact that has on the body. Mm-hmm. So when, when you see people and in, you even mentioned this in your book in the inflammation spectrum, you, it's more of a question. So do you typically get them to start with eliminating foods because it's something that they have more control over or at least can understand better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. It typically starts with food. And I say that with a, some hesitation because there has to be some ethos before that, um, right? understanding why they are doing. To me, I think the why somebody's doing it is just as, if not more important than the what. Because mm-hmm. I don't want this to be just this fad diet that they're doing or this program. I really kind of hate those words um, because I, this has to be a natural ripple effect of why are they doing what they're doing, meaning I believe that sustainable wellness is born out of self-respect. Mm-hmm. And if somebody has to have enough of an impetus to say, look, I value myself enough to feed it good things. They may not feel great. They're not going to feel great at this point. This is the beginning of their journey. They probably feel really, really lousy. So, but they have to have enough energy inside of them, will to move past this inside of them, to start making these changes in their life. And sometimes people do fake it before they make it, meaning that they are going through the motions and they just really, because they do feel so lousy. But to me, I think you have to get that off the ground. But what maintains it off the ground, what what continues the sustainability of this, the practicality of this, the effectiveness of this is someone really shifting their paradigm from okay these i can't have all these things i'm doing a diet this is so restrictive too well no i love feeling better more than i miss those foods that made me feel really lousy mm-hmm. and to me that's the paradigm shift that has to happen to make it stay off the ground otherwise it'll just keep skidding off the ground and it'll be another added to your pile of things that you've tried that have maybe worked for a time and then failed you or maybe never worked um and that's not what i do that's not what i do so my, my my you have to change your head and your heart sometimes before you change your plate the fourth most popular episode this year was episode number 17 why you should stop focusing on your relationship this episode came from me getting so many questions from you the listeners saying can you talk about how to do this about my marriage or what if my husband's doing this or what if my wife won't stop saying this to me what am i supposed to do and i didn't answer any of those specific questions because the underlying issue for so many of you and i was in this boat as well is that you're spending way too much time over analyzing everything happening in your relationship. So in episode 17, I told you my story. I told you more about my husband and I, how the beginning of our marriage was and how I began overanalyzing our relationship, which led to more problems than solutions. It was about four years into my marriage when Rob and I started having some major issues. They stemmed from a lot of things, communication, what he was going through at work, what I was going through in my personal life. And we just started to disconnect. 
This actually started after my husband, Rob, and I had been separated for a year while he was stuck in Korea with the military and I had come back to the States to start my master's degree. And being separated for that year was hard at first, but honestly, it was scary how easy it was. And I always tell people the hardest part of all of the times that Rob and I were separated because of the military and things like that, the hardest part was coming back together. It was never what you would picture in the movies where there was just fireworks and tears and all of the celebration for having him home. Of course, I was always happy when we first got back together and I could see him again, but it was weird as well. It honestly was like we were just getting married all over again and we had to relearn how to live with each other every single time. And there was an awkwardness. And especially after being separated for a year, after only being married for a year and a half, so we were separated almost as long as we were together, we both got comfortable in our own ways. And so as he was coming back home, we were reintegrating into the world and into our relationship together and what that looks like, we realized that this was going to be incredibly difficult again, because once again, we were having to sacrifice that independent part of us and make compromises again and learn what each other liked and didn't liked and the little quirks and habits that each person has that might annoy the other person. We had to refigure all of this out. And in that process, our relationship was drawn further apart until we were just fighting a lot. We didn't necessarily like being around each other, and it was difficult to find any positive way to connect. And I remember when I realized that this is what was happening, I got scared, of course, I didn't want our marriage to be like this for the rest of our lives, where we were basically roommates who liked each other, but we didn't feel like husband and wife who were in love with each other. I didn't want that to be the rest of our 60 years of marriage, but I also didn't want it to end either. That wasn't an option in my book. So I began to become hyper-focused on him. What could I do to make him happy? What could I do to get him to open up? What could I do to get him to connect? What could I do to get him to do what I wanted him to do. And what ended up happening is I became so hyper-focused on every move he made, every way that he would react to something I said, every little body language that he would do in return to something I had done. I started overanalyzing every part of our relationship and I began to equate my personal happiness with how my husband felt, reacted to, or treated me that day. And let me tell you, friends, that is not a place anyone in any type of relationship should ever be. Here's why. No one is ever going to be able to make me happy. No person on this earth is ever going to be able to complete me or make me feel whole or make me feel like I have value apart from what I believe in my faith. Because every human is flawed. 
And when I begin to find my identity and my sense of self-worth in someone else, then I begin to lose myself. Be sure to go and listen to the entire episode of episode 17, Why You Should Stop Focusing on Your Relationship, in order to get a more comprehensive breakdown on things that you can do differently and how to change your thoughts and change your patterns and change your behaviors in order to have healthier relationships. Which leads us to the fifth most popular episode of this year, which is how to think about what you're thinking about with my friend Jim Porto. In this episode, we talk all about thoughts because Jim and I have been very open and vocal about our struggles with anxiety, how important we believe mental health is, but also being very real and honest about how it's difficult to stop the racing and negative thoughts. The entire episode is really just Jim and I connecting and having a conversation as two great friends on how to navigate having your thoughts and learning how to change your thoughts. But this specific clip is one of my favorites that gives some quick things that you can start doing and changing in your life to start seeing some change in your thoughts. You know, we all struggle in a similar area to a lesser or greater degree. And that's that six to eight inches between our our ears. Um, The mind is extremely powerful in how it looks at things and brings about a vision or picture of what could come. The struggle about that could is it typically will move from possibility to probability because it's our thought. Um, When I hear someone else say something to me, it's kind of easy to maybe qualify it based on they don't know or they haven't been through. But when my mind speaks to me, it's hard to argue with me. Um, because I'm the person I hear the most every day, and I'm typically the person I listen to the most every day. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I do. And, uh, and, and I want to be clear, this isn't really something that I personally have mastered. I think there are some people that are better at it than others. Um, I'm in something called conscious competence when it comes to thought control and, and how I view and um, process things. Uh, I have to think about it. Um, and if I think about it, and if I do a certain things, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more successful in coming around to a mindset or a thought process that, that I lead to where I'm planning to go, whether it's that day, that week, or my, my vision for my life purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But when the thoughts seem so overwhelming, how do you even start breaking them down so that you can think about it and assess them? And even in a way that's not emotional, because we can't be logical about our thoughts, can we? No, it's pretty tough. (laughs) They're not even in the same part of the mind. You know, I think if we could treat ourselves like we would treat a good friend, it could help. It could help. Um, I mean, for instance, if we think about the the day in the parking lot, um, as as you had an opportunity to share, um, and you actually took the first step in your own ownership of thoughts by by seizing the opportunity. Hmm. Um, and there are opportunities. I think the first thing we have to look for is opportunities for us to release that which is kind of bouncing around our head. Hmm. Um, If something is critical to us or something's important to us, uh, it occupies a tremendous amount of of data. On my computer, I have a a little device or a little icon on there that shows how much processing power is being used 
based on the program's desire I have up. And, and, and sometimes I have tons of things up and, and while they're up, it's, it's a relatively small percentage of processing power that's with my computer. There are other times where I have uh, uh, other programs that are pulling resources. And then all I want to do is open a picture. Mm -hmm. It's a relatively simple task that we do on our cell phones every day. And three minutes later, it's still processing to open that picture up. Or there are so many things open, it's trying to deal with more than one thing at once. I clicked this too fast. I did that too quick. And so all this stuff's happening, which bottlenecks the ability for the computer to display what you actually want. Um, I think our mind does the same thing. So when you have all these thoughts or tons of things, especially if something's very important, um, then uh, or, if, or if there's a lot of things coming at us, to, to be able to close some of those programs, close some of those thoughts um, by releasing them could be really powerful. Now, we all do that differently. Um, I'm, I'm verbal. You know that. You and I have had a great close friendship for, man, 10 years. And, and um, so I'm verbal. You know that. I'll sit with you. And sometimes we've had time to sit together. And, and I, I start speaking, and I'm processing while mm-hmm. I speak. I have a good friend of mine. When, when, when he processes, he's writing. I don't do that way. Um, I'm weird because if I start writing, I'll start preparing a speech or something I need to teach on or something, right? So, so I think one of the key things is there is you have all these thoughts in your head is you have to take an opportunity to release those thoughts. And if you can release those in writing or release those with a person, um, you're going to start the – now, it's just the beginning, but you're going to start the process. You have to close some programs to be able to prioritize and, and, and look at that, um, which is, is maybe urgent for you. Uh, but may not be an emergency for you. So pausing for a minute and doing that could be really important. I have been honored and blessed to have so many great people on my podcast and some honorable mentions and close runners up to the top episodes of this year have been the episode with David Matthews, where we talked about signs of a midlife crisis. You guys ate that episode up. And I know why, because every single one of you thinks that your spouse is going through a quarter or a midlife crisis. That's episode 13, if you want to go and listen to the truth bombs that David Matthews shares there. Other episodes have been Desperate Forgiveness, where I spoke with Al and Lisa Robertson from Duck Dynasty and talked about forgiveness. And my goodness, The things that that family has experienced and the things that they have forgiven has been, I mean, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it. If you are struggling with forgiving someone in your life, whether it's a parent or your spouse or someone, a family member who has wronged you, this episode is for you. It even helped me with forgiveness that I was learning how to do towards other people in my life as well. Episode 15 and 16 are parts one and two of Desperate Forgiveness with Al and Lisa Robertson. Some other amazing people that I've interviewed is Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott, where we talked about three signs of a healthy relationship in episode number three, as well as some of just my personal favorites were The Power of Prayer with Leanne McCoy. Oh my goodness, she offered such... A different way to think about prayer. I loved our conversation. And that was episode 12. If you really want to understand human emotions and how we as humans 
react differently to certain emotions and why we have certain emotions, then episode 21 will be very insightful for you. The seven universal emotions and what drives them with Dr. David Matsumoto, which, by the way, was one of my favorite people that I've met through podcasting so far. He is a researcher, a scientist. He's done some amazing research, but he's one of the most wise people. And I really appreciated my conversation with him. I'm also loving a budding friendship that I'm starting with Krista Bigler, who I had on episode number 35. We talked about how to live a less stressed life. And that girl is smart and she knows her stuff. So I encourage you, again, if you're thinking about inflammation, if you're having symptoms in your body that you that you don't like, like brain fog or trouble sleeping or hormone issues or digestion issues, then go and listen to that podcast that we had in episode number 35. I love hearing from you. And I would love to continue to hear your feedback of what you're loving about the podcast and what you would love to hear more of. It always helps when you leave that review. So please just go to your phone, hit the stars, however many stars you want to give it. And if you can, leave a written review as well, because that is the best gift that you could ever give me. I can't wait for all of the exciting things we have lined up for It Starts With Attraction in 2021. Here's to an amazing next year. Finish this one strong. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well. You can always find out more information by going to itstartswithattraction.com for show notes, for updates, and to join the email list so that every Friday you can get an encouraging email that specifically tells you what you can do to work on your pies so that you can become the best that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Until next week, keep working on your pies and stay strong.